Every new year, we make decisions about who we want to be. We make resolutions, we set goals. Often these goals are focused on ourselves. Losing weight, saving money, even the best goals are often self-centered. Christ did not call us to live that way. When there's more of God, you're selfless. New Year, new series. Let's discover how we can change our world with this New Year series, Selfless, starting now. How many guys know that dying to yourself is a painful journey? Amen, right? Dying to yourself is a painful journey. And we've been uh, on a selfless series. And I don't know about you, but every single week I have been challenged. Every single week I'm listening to the word, I'm getting into the word, and I'm like, oh, Lord, there's some of that in me. Oh, God, help me become more like you. To recap our selfless, when we serve more, we take less. When we give more, we need less. When we thank more, we want less. And when there is more God, we are selfless. I have a coach who says that the word self, each letter stands for something. It stands for Satan's exact location forever. Because when I'm thinking about myself and I'm all about myself and all my needs are for me, we used to have a phrase when we were growing up. It says, if you continue to front yourself, you will find yourself by yourself. Um, that self, that it's all about me, it's give me, get me, and I want, there's no life in that. There's only need. There's only want. There's only desire. There's no life in being selfish. But in being selfless, we actually get to experience the heart of God. In the first week, we challenge you to be bold in witness and go share your faith. I know I got out of here. I went to a friend's workplace. I hung out for a couple of hours and I met all kinds of people. And uh, eventually came out who I was and what I did. But I was just enjoying loving on people, hearing their journeys and sharing my own. It was amazing. And I got to share my faith. In the second week, we told you to be courageous in service. Go find someone to serve. You are never more like Jesus than when you were serving somebody else. Anybody? Have you ever been that? Have you ever gotten a chance to serve and you thought you were giving a blessing, but you received ones and so much larger than you were thinking? This week, we want to talk about extravagant and generosity. Extravagant and generosity. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a words person. I need to know what words mean. If I'm going to tell you to be extravagant and generosity, maybe I need to explain what extravagant is and what generosity is. So the word extravagant actually was kind of surprising to me. It says lacking restraint and spending money. How many of you guys have been extravagant? <laughs> yeah. You're like, how are we we're supposed to be? No, 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 just follow along, follow along. It's exceeding what is reasonable, appropriate, absurd. Exceeding what is reasonable, appropriate, or absurd. Then you team that up with the word generosity. Generosity is a quality of being kind and generous. The quality, of, uh, the quality or fact of being plentiful. When I was growing up, my father would always say to me, CJ, that's what my family calls me, CJ, your greatest weakness, your greatest weakness is that you're generous to a fault. Because he would see me give and he would see me help and he would see me serve and it would always cost me something. But you see, I'm wired to give. I'm wired to serve regardless of the personal cost to myself. When I came to know Jesus, I realized that this was not my greatest weakness or fault at all. This was the heart of God. 
God is extravagant in generosity. We were posted on Facebook, there's a slide that says, it takes great faith to give first. Everybody say first. First. It doesn't take great faith to give second, right? Like if you receive a present and you send a thank you card, that did not take great faith. Like you've already received, now you're like thanking in return. But it takes great faith to give first. God never asks us to do or be anything that he has not already done or is. Look in your Bibles in John 3, 16. First verse I ever learned when I got saved. Uh, I was 21 years old, and it was the very first verse, but I remembered it as a child. For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave us his only son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Did we deserve that? No, in Romans it tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but it was God being extravagant in generosity to send us his son. So if you take those definitions and you put it in a sentence like this, it was God, by sending us Jesus, his son, was lacking restraint in his kindness and generousness. He exceeded what was reasonable and appropriate. How many of you guys have children? How many of you guys love your kids? How many of you guys have fur babies? And you love your fur baby, right? I just celebrated my daughter's 13th birthday. I'm telling you, I, the emotional and mental anguish it would cost me to know that I had to give her to save everyone else. That is absurd. That is unreasonable. That is far, far to the extreme. Do you hear that? That's what God did first. It takes great faith to give first. I thought about all the things that God has given us, and that list is like long and crazy, but I put them into some categories. So God the Father gives us the gift of life. In Psalm 139, it says, while we were in our mommy's bellies, he knit us together. Before one of our days came into being, he knew them all completely. He gives us the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Then Jesus himself gives us the gift of mercy and of grace and forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. Not to be outdone, there's a third person in the Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness and self-control. And on top of that, he gives us the gifts of the Spirit. There's a whole lot of giving in God, isn't there? I would call that being extravagant in generosity, especially says, especially in light of the fact that there's not a single one of those things we deserve, right? His mercy, did we deserve his mercy? No. While we were sinners, Christ died for us, it said. While we hated him, while we were his enemy, while we loathed him and treated him poorly, even now, how many of you guys out there sometimes find yourself not being very Christ-like? I know in my own life, I still need his generosity. I'm still in process. I'm still growing. I'm still becoming more like him. And sometimes I don't act like him very often. 
There are times when I'm driving my car, when I encourage the person in front of me, only to realize I wasn't being much like Jesus. And I have to look at my child and be like, that was not mercy and grace, kid. I'm still in process. But I'm thankful in those moments there is forgiveness and mercy and grace for me as I'm reminded of that and try to extend it to that person doing 10 miles an hour under the speed limit in the passing lane. Isn't it funny how we always want everyone else to live up to the law, but we don't want to? Thank you, God, for being extravagant. So God's heart is all about generosity. He's clearly a heart of generosity to the level of extravagance. So I want to pose this question and offer this challenge to you this morning. What will our mindset about generosity be? I want to pose to you, there are three different kinds for today's purposes. And we have the ability to choose. Everybody say choose. Now, choosing means that you're responsible for what you pick. Yes? So if you go to a restaurant and you choose poorly, that's not a good thing. My son's favorite movies are the Indiana Jones movies. And in the Indiana Jones movies, there's a, the, this Nazi dude picks a cup. who thinks it's like the cup of Christ. And he drinks out of it. And if it's right, it gives him eternal life. And it doesn't. It turns him into a skeleton. And the, the cool, like, uh, night guy's like, you chose poorly. Right? I love that. And so anytime I get to something, like, not so great, I'm like, you chose poorly. All right? So this morning, we have the right to choose, right? We're going to have a choice. We have three choices. We can have the bag mindset. Everybody say bag. The bag mindset is, this bag is mine. And it's small, and there's never enough. You don't have to chew or teach a child how to say mine. Right? Mine. We are all born with what my father called the give me, get me, and I want complex. We didn't need to be taught that. Give me, get me, and I want. That's that self place. So we can have the bag mindset where there's never enough. We can have the basket mindset. The basket was given to you. You received this gift basket. And in it, there is enough even to share. And then the final one is a barn mindset. Now, I was going to bring a bag and and a basket, but I was like, where am I going to get a barn? So like that illustration wouldn't have worked out too well. So I chose this to go without them. But the barn mindset says the barn is full and there's more than enough. Have you guys ever been to a barn that was full? How many times have you been to a barn that was full of stuff that you were like, we got to shovel out of the barn? Yes, yes. Sometimes with a full barn comes complications. I'm just telling you. I'm setting you up for it for later. But I love, love, love the Bible because it reveals to me God's heart and my heart and how I can have my heart become more like his heart. And the stories of the Bible have fascinated me my whole life. And I want to share one of my personal favorites with you this morning. Perfect story to illustrate all three mindsets. And it's the story of the loaves and fishes or the story of the feeding of the 5,000 or depending on which gospel you are, 4,000. You're like, whoa, what's the discrepancy? Well, I mean, two people see the same thing. Husband and wife see the same thing. There's always a little bit uh, of a difference in their, their numbering. Pastors see one thing. We're like, 5,000 people were at church today. Praise the Lord. Um, it may have been 500, but we're just evangelistic, and we're seeing into the future. But this story is the only miracle 
that is in all four Gospels. All four Gospels share this story. Anytime all four of the brothers share something, that's pretty impressive. Hugely important. The resurrection is shared in all four stories. Are you fine following me on this? So we're going to talk to you guys about the story of the loaves and fishes. And I have this great Bible. It's called the Harmony of the Gospels. It takes the stories that are all throughout the Gospels and then shares them as they would be told as one story, even though it takes parts from all of them. And so it's story time. So sit back in your chair and relax. And listen to the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now I'm old, so I take off my glasses to read up close. Ridiculous. Here we go. It's totally true. I can't see the words without it. All right. Then the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all the things that they had done and taught. Jesus had sent out the 72. He was telling them to go out and heal people and love people and share Jesus' good news, the good news of the gospel, that there's forgiveness of sin. So they came back and he said to them, come away with me to a quiet place where we can be alone and rest for a while. Aren't you glad nap time is anointed by God? I'm praying I get one today, but I doubt it. I'm having kids over. For there were many people coming and going, and they had no leisure time even to eat. Have you ever been so busy you couldn't eat? So they left the boat by a, uh, for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many saw them coming and going and recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Those are some quick people. I've been to Galilee. That's not an easy jog. Just saying. They were definitely needy, hungry people. When Jesus came ashore, he found a great crowd waiting and was moved with compassion for them. Everybody say compassion. Hmm. When you're a parent or when you're a young person, Christmas is awesome because you get lots of gifts, right? And you're so excited to get the gift. When you become a parent or you become a husband, or a wife, you're excited about giving the gifts. The move from selfish to selfless is motivated by love. That love makes you say, I don't want to open anything. I want them to open something. And your joy is made complete, not in receiving any longer, but in giving. There's a crazy verse in the Bible that says it's better to give than receive. It's harder to teach the younger people, but they'll get it eventually. So they came to this remote place. Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now when the day was nearly gone and the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and the hour is late. Send the people away that they may go into the country and villages around and buy themselves something to eat. And then Jesus said, what? You give them something to eat. This is not called the feeding of the 15 teenagers. 5,000 people. And some argue that there was 5,000 men plus women and children. So it could have been as many as 20,000 people who were all there at that time. Disciples were making a smart decision. Amen. You ever made one of those? Honey, tell your friends they got to go. It's dinner time. Praise the Lord. I know what's in the fridge and I know what's not in the fridge. And those are locusts called teenagers, you know? And so they were being wise. They're saying, listen, go. But Jesus said, you feed them. They looked at him and said, shall we go buy 
200 denarii or eight months worth of bread and give it to them? One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. He's got a Lunchable. You laugh because we've all bought them for our kids and they're still hungry afterwards. And they should call them snackables because that's not lunch. So Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now the ground there was covered with grass. So the men sat down at about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he passed them out to all who were sitting there and also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, gather up the pieces that are left over that nothing may be wasted. Do you see how this whole story is shifting like incredibly well? Hey, we got a lunchable. Okay, everyone sit down, we'll feed them. I was being sarcastic, Lord. Can you imagine the conversation? I mean, guys, these are real people, right? Brother's like, hey, that's eight months worth of salary, okay. Here's a lunchable. Oh, great, have them sit down. These are the same guys who are out preaching the good news and healing people. How many of you guys know sometimes as a follower of Christ, we can miss it? We just need to be reminded. He didn't yell at them. He just said, hey, have them sit down. So then after all of the people have been fed, he goes, go gather up the, ba- the leftovers and 12 baskets full of barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, when the people saw the miracle that Jesus performed, they began to say, without a doubt, this is the prophet who has come to save the world. The bag mindset. Who represents the bag mindset? This is mine. And it's small. And it's not enough. Eight months of wages, bro. Cannot feed these people. We don't have enough. That's why we are being smart and wise and sending them away. How many of you guys know that the greatest wisdom of man is still foolishness to God? Right? We may think we're being wise. Right? Well, if I can't afford, I will save. I will keep. How can I possibly give a can of soup when I need a can of soup? The wisdom of God is different than the wisdom of man. The the bag mindset's revealed in the disciples. They were facing a serious situation. We're not discounting that. 5,000 people, almost 20,000 people, that's a lot of hungry people. Anyone ever been hangry? Yeah. Those of you trying to be righteous in church are like, no, me, no. No, your spouse is like, "Mm mm-hmm testify. And them children over there, they get hangry too. Listen, they were facing a serious situation. The disciples were genuinely concerned. They were coming up with a great idea. Send them away. Let them go look. It's important they go because if they don't, they will not be pleased. They were in a remote place. I've been there. I've literally walked on the Sea of Galilee and in those hills there. It, I don't know how people ran to get there. Like, without some Nikes, that is an impossible journey. But they were there. The hour was late, and they were hungry. Are any of those things disputed? No. The problem was the disciples thought eight wages couldn't buy enough in Luke to give everyone a single bite. Their focus was on what they had. So let's send them away. Have you ever been in a situation like this? There was a serious need. You had a genuine concern. You looked at your own bag and said, there's no way I can help. There's just no way I can help. I love to help. My heart's moved to help. I see the need for help. 
I understand this is a genuine need to help. I'd like to, but in my bag, there's never enough. Their focus is on what they had. So the disciples, followers of Jesus, good-hearted, not wicked or evil, said, send them away. So we can sometimes choose the bag mindset. My bag is mine, it's small, and there's never enough. Or we can choose the basket mindset. The basket mindset is my favorite person in the story. I mean, Jesus is always cool, but there's a little kid. How many of you adults have been taught a serious lesson by children? So my, my daughter had a, her 13th birthday this, this week, and we were throwing a surprise party. We were doing all these preparations for the surprise party, uh, which, thank you, Jesus was, ended up being a surprise. And then we were excited, and we were super happy, and Alden, my little boy, whose birthday was last Sunday, and the Lord said, let there be snow, had his party canceled because no one was driving out in that. So my little boy, who turned eight years old, who didn't get his party, spent a whole week in secret preparing for his sister's party. My little guy who didn't get much, but we'll have friends over today, hallelujah. Okay. Selflessly said, daddy, you know what my heart is for sissy? I'm like, what's your heart for sissy? He goes, I want her to cry tears of joy when she sees everybody. And I was like, I was talking to my wife about, babe, you need to explain to the child that, listen, this is a 13th birthday. It's really big. It's really important. This is one of the huge ones, okay? We're going from being a tweener to a teen. You know what I'm saying? This is important. Like, so she's going to have lots of friends. She's going to have all this stuff. And he didn't get any of that. We just need to prepare his heart. Moron. The eight-year-old little boy's like, you know what I really want? I want my sister to cry tears of joy when she walks into that room. To which I was like, oh. I'm thinking about the kid's bag and the little guy's thinking about his basket. This was given to me and there's enough to share. So this little kid hears Jesus say, you give them something to eat. The disciples are like, eight months salary and go give them a bite. Little kid over here says, hey, here's my Lunchable. Give that to Jesus. In true pastoral fashion sometimes, when the children have more faith, right? Or we're, we're, we're hey, well, buddy, I'm, a, I'm one of the 12. You know what I'm saying? I'll take your lunch because you're cute, kid, but you know what I'm saying? This is a little ridiculous. Takes it to Jesus, hands it to him, and Jesus is like, yes, have him sit down. You ever got a response from God that you were not expecting? You were trying to be sarcastic. He's like, go for it. You're like, Arr. you are the Lord and you are holy. So maybe you don't understand sarcasm as well. But he said, listen, this, was, this bag of food was given to me. Take it, take it, share it with everybody. There's a slide that says, when you keep all you, when, when you keep all you have, yeah. Let's look up at that screen. What you keep is all you have, but what you give, God multiplies. Listen, when you hold on to it, your bag is too small and there's like, there's not enough for anybody. That's all you have because you're keeping it. But what the little boy said is, hey, I, I was given this, take it. And what did God do? He multiplied it. When we moved from uh, South Carolina to Pennsylvania, 
uh, we knew we were going to basically be homeless. We had nowhere to go. Literally, we had no idea where we were going. We were loading a truck because we had to get out, but we had nowhere where we were going. And there was a sweet older lady. I put these bookshelves out uh, for anyone who wanted them. And this sweet older lady came and said, I would love those bookshelves, but I, don't have a, I can't get them up the stairs. I was like, girl, I don't have much, but what I do have is the ability to carry heavy objects from place to place. And so I carry the bookshelves up. I walk into her house, and there is nothing. There's an old broken-down card table that they're eating at. She doesn't have a bed. Her little uh, grandsons who she's raising doesn't have a bed. It was, I mean, it was, there was no food. It was just my heart instantly broke. I said, everything I have is yours. I go back downstairs. I'm like, babe, let's give her it all. Like, let's, we have nowhere to, we have, there's this stuff, but we don't have anywhere even to take it. So let's just give it to her. Like anything that we give to God, he will do something with. And so we gave, we gave, our, we gave a bunch of our furniture. We gave her beds to sleep on for herself and the, and the little guys. We went to the food. I'm like, listen, like we can't, st- what are we gonna do with this food? I don't even know where we're gonna put all this stuff. And so we loaded up in bags and we took bags and bags and bags upstairs to give to this lady. And when we had given her our furniture and we had given her, given her uh, the bags of food, there was one thing left that she really needed and that was somewhere to sit to eat. And you see, there was a table in our house. I called it Mandy's table because it was my wife's table. And it was my wife's table. When you like give a, like ownership to something that's in all y'all's house, that's a special thing. Grandma's china closet, daddy's gun safe, you know, just important things. And so, don't judge. And so, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's the small bag, but it's mine. No, no, no. Um, and so, uh, that's horrible. So I, I looked at her on my bed, and she goes, I knew you were going to say this. I knew God was going to have us give us some stable. And I'm like, I just really think we should. So we, we cleaned it all up. We took it apart. We took it upstairs. We reset it up. We were about to leave. We were just about to leave. And uh, we'd given everything we could give. Like, we had nothing else to give. And uh, she flagged us down, and she wanted us to know what she was doing with what she had been blessed with. When I walked in there, the house was a wreck. I mean, it was just, there was not a lot of stuff. It was pretty dirty. She had borrowed a vacuum and vacuumed the entire place and cleaned everything so that when the furniture came, it came to a nice place. She goes, I was surviving. Now I feel like I have a home. But I wanted to let you know, there was too much food. Just, there was just too much. We're those who believe that you should prepare for the worst, right? And so we had a ton of stuff, canned goods and all kinds of stuff. And so I know where to get them cheap. And, uh, we had a ton of it. And she goes, listen, it's too much. Even for us five, it's too much. So I called the other single moms. I called the other women who I knew in our complex because we lived in a low-income property. We're doing ministry to people living in low-income. She goes, I called the other people who knew were in need and I made bags for all of them. And they've come and they've collected their bags. I'm so excited. She goes, not only did I move from not having anything, but I moved into a place where I could give. And you can literally see the countenance difference on her. Hope was restored to her. It was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. What did it cost us? The furniture and the food that we didn't have a place to put, that we wanted to go somewhere that would be great. It was just a bag. But when we gave it to one person, God multiplied it. The little boy's focus was on what Jesus could do with what he had. What you keep is all you have. What you give, God multiplies. The result of the boy sharing his lunchable, 5,000 people, 5,000 men, almost 20,000 people were fed that day in that remote place at the end of the day. 
after having listened to Jesus preach and teach and share, after having been healed physically, they were fed. Amazing. Oh, and by the way, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. You know why I think there were 12 baskets? Because the brothers were like, hey, we got a Lunchable. Send them away. They went from like holding their little insignificant bag to having to carry a heavy basket. Dear Lord, he prayed over it, and now we've got to carry these baskets. <laughs> Yo, that's unleavened bread. That wasn't the fluffy stuff you get at the grocery store. That was a heavy, heavy. And they're on a mountain. And so you know you collect from the top to the bottom, right? there. they walk back up there like, good, good, my back, hallelujah. I'm going to need healing when I get up there. You see, it was never about what the kid had or what the disciples had. It was about what Jesus could do with what was given to him. As if what was in the bag was yours to begin with. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. He gave you life and breath. And he continues to give you breath and life. He continues to give you every blessing that you have. The boy understood, I didn't catch the fish or bake the bread. My parents did. So take my lunch. You didn't make that. The heavenly father did. And everything you have, he gave. So why not give him back and see what he does with it? So, so far our options are the bag mindset. There's never enough or the basket mindset. It's enough to share. But there's one more. Why? Because we're preaching. There's gotta be three points. Point number three, the barn mindset. The barn is full and there's more than enough. The barn mindset is revealed through uh, the story by Jesus's part. He knows where every good and perfect gift comes from, his papa. He knows the source of all life and all resources, his papa. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, what you have. With the first fruit of all your crops. Some of you are like, whew, I'm not a farmer, thank God. No, no, no. Whatever you have. Then, everybody say then. Okay, if there's the word then in the Bible, whatever preceded it was important, and whatever follows it only happens if what is before it is done. Does that make sense? Then, important before, only get after. Like when I tell my children, can I have dessert? After you eat your dinner. Can I do this? After you clean your room. You get it? We get it. All right. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. We don't have barns where we store our stuff. We have banks. My bank... Feels, I have a bag in my bank. There's not a whole lot of stuff in there, but that's where we put our stuff, right? Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Malachi 3.10 says this. I find it interesting that it's John 3.16, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, and Malachi 3, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit kind of deal. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in whose house? My house. Not mine as in mine, but mine as in his. He's speaking. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out much blessing. 
that there will, or so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And John's telling of the story in John 6, 6, it said, Jesus, when he told them, what, hey, what are we gonna do to feed these people? He was testing the disciples and asking. When he was saying, hey, you go, go take care of it. He knew that they didn't have an answer for it. He was just testing to see if they would remember who they were with and who all blessings come from. The word test means to prove or find true. He was testing them. Ever been tested by God? God knows our needs and our resources, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our weaknesses. His desire has always been for relationship. But without faith in him, without trust in him, there can be no relationship. Hear me. Without faith in him, without trust in him, there can be no relationship. Faith, by definition, is being sure of what you hope for and certain what you do not see. It says in Hebrews 11, that without faith it's impossible to please God because you have to believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He actually does exist, and what he says is true. Do you believe God is faithful? Do you believe God can be trusted? The greatest test of our faith often involves our treasure. In Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Giving extravagantly, being extravagant and generosity is not a test of your bank account. It's not a test of how large your barn is, your basket is, or your bag is. It's just a test of where your heart is. Our willingness to be extravagant in giving like him proves we have placed our trust where it's supposed to be. You ever looked at a dollar bill or a $5 bill or any bill for that matter? The words in God we trust is on there. But how many of you guys have found yourself trusting more in that piece of paper than the God who created the tree? from which it could be made. Or actually it's cotton, but you know what I'm saying. You following me? Guys, we want to close with this. I want to ask you the question, do you currently have a bag, a basket, or a barn mindset? And Jonathan, if you can throw it back up there, that, that slide that says, what you keep is all you have. What you give, God multiplies. We decided to save offering to the end. And the reason why we wanted to do that is because sometimes we're stuck in our bag mindset. And when we're stuck in our bag mindset, we're robbed of the blessing of watching God multiply things. We're robbed of the blessing of watching God multiply things. We're, we're robbed of the blessings of the barns being filled to overflow because we're holding on to this little thing that we've been given anyway. And so we can't bless one another and we can't bless God. And if we're not blessing one another and we're not blessing God, we find ourselves holding on to something that rust and moths will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal. So I'm encouraging you this morning, make your heart and your treasure both belong to God.
dear Jesus, I love you, love you, love you. And I thank you so much that you love us too. God, what you want from us is just relationship. But for us to have a good and healthy life-giving relationship, we have to trust you. We have to have faith in you. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Faith is believing that you exist and you reward us. God, you have already given us the gift of life, the gift of your son, the gift of the fruits of the spirit and the, and the gifts of the spirit. You have already given us everything. And then you said, test us. The only place in scripture where you tell us to test you and see if you're true and right and honest. So God, this morning, as I pray for the offering, I ask this. I ask for those who were terrified and holding tightly to the bag, that they would let go of the bag and say, God, here's my Lunchable. What can you do? For those of us, Lord God, who have, who have been faithful basket givers, we have that basket mindset where I'm giving a portion back of what I have. He gave it to me, I'm giving it back. I pray, Lord Jesus, you would let them know that they have been faithful but also let them know that there is more. There is more. When we are continually faithful and continually faithful, God, you show us not only what we can do, but all that you can do. And we get to partner in even greater things than we could ever have hoped or imagined. Feeding 90 families started off with a passion to help. And now look what it has grown into. And now this body, this family will help that passion rekindle those fires and watch what God can do. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Move us from the bag to the basket. Move us from the basket to the barn and let us celebrate and rejoice in the journey. Receive these mornings, tithes and offerings as our thank you, our love you to you. We want to extravagantly give to you as you have given to us. In Jesus' name.